I'm Amy, sex educator, sex and relationship coach, and co-owner of PurePleasureShop.com. I'm April, VP of the cutting-edge sex toy company, Hot Octopus, and I dedicate my life to the business of sex. We are on a mission to teach you how to have hot sex, deep intimacy, and how to make your own rules for who you are as a sexual being. Welcome Welcome to to the the Shameless Shameless Sex Revolution. Don't forget to head on over to our website, shamelesssex.com, for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com. You are listening to a pleasure podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Well, hello, everyone. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Shameless Sex Podcast. This episode is with Kat Nance on healing through pleasure. She shared her personal story about how she used uh, healing through pleasure, how she has a disability and was uh, was struggling with disability and still has this disability to this day um, and how pleasure has really played a huge role in her healing um, and her, in her embodiment and her ability to make choices for herself and to ask for what she wants and advocate for herself. I wanted to just add what you were saying about, yes, she had, she had a ton of challenging surgeries in her life. And what resonated with me is that even if you're not uh, in a situation where you have chronic pain or you um, have some sort of disability or ailment or of any kind, even if you're a, a human on this planet, it's sometimes there's just challenges with your body that you have to overcome. And she has some great tips mm-hmm. for kind of just relating that and, and getting out of your head, as we always talk about, and kind of uh, healing through your pleasure. So it's, it is a great episode. Y'all know, maybe you don't, we're part of a podcast network of a whole bunch of, well, maybe eight or nine of us, right, of a sex positive podcast called Pleasure Podcasts. Uh, and we all got together and did our own uh, sex tips for quarantine and made these little mini trailers, like 40 second clips. And we're going to, over the next couple of episodes, share clips from these other awesome podcasts that we love. We all have a different focus, a different different style. Um, so we're going to give you a little teasers and we're going to play this clip from Sex Talk with my mom. We love them. They're from the Midwest. It's so funny. They have the, they're so awesome. We've been on their show before. You're going to love this. They're great. So it's, yeah, Cam and his mom giving you their sex tips for quarantine. Ready, set, go. Hi, I'm Cam Poder. And I'm Karen Lee Poder. And we host the Sex Talk with My Mom podcast. We are excited to answer the Pleasure Podcast's question of the month. What is our number one sex tip for quarantine? Mom, what's yours? I like the idea of Zoom sex with other people. What? What are you making a face for? Have you done that? As a matter of fact, yes, I have. No, you have not. Yes, I have. You and I'm had not gonna Zoom sh- sex? Yes. With who? We're not going to get into this right now. There's only 30-second clip. Oh, my God. Do you want to hear more from my mother about her sex life? Do you want to hear more from my son about his sex life or lack thereof? Thank you. Check out the Sex Talk with My Mom podcast. Good, I love it. I love them. They're, They're the so entertaining, and oh the God. accents. I mean, <laughs> I am from the Midwest too, and but Cam's Cam's accent is so good. Remember yeah. when we were on their show? We were in West Hollywood, or we were in Hollywood at yeah. their studio, and I just fell in love with the both of them. They're great. It was like you were at home with your little Midwestern family. I know. I was. Oh, and they had a cute little dog, Gus Gus. So cute. 
Gus, I know Gus Gus. Uh, so sex we, question. I know we've got a sex question here. It's which, a longer one. Um, when we did, I did, we did narrow it down a little bit, but I thought all the information was important. So just so you know, it's a little on the longer side, but it's a good question. I see that. I'll have to practice my reading skills. And if we don't get a chance to answer your sex question on our podcast here, please feel free to tune in. We are doing Instagram lives every Friday where we answer your sex question live. And you can always email us at info at shameless sex, or is it contact at shameless sex? Either one. You just both email work. us. Yeah. We'll check those. Amy's always on top of that. Just kidding. I am too sometimes. Um, all right. Let's get to this question. Me, a woman, and my boyfriend are in our early 20s and have been together for almost three years now. My boyfriend was diagnosed with scoliosis when he was pretty young and was given corrective surgery. He has pain when laying on his back and sitting for long periods of time. Because of this, our sex life has completely fallen off the map. His sex drive is rather low to begin with, but it's almost non-existent because he associates pain with us having sex. My sex drive is pretty high, so I want more sex from him, but I don't wish to cause him pain. I get frustrated with him when we don't have sex at all, but I know I shouldn't because it's not his fault. Along with that is the fact it's hard for him to get aroused to begin with. He seems to never be in the mood, and when he is, he'd rather masturbate to get it over with quickly rather than have sex with me. He's even told me he finds masturbation to be a chore and something he has to do because of hormones. And when we do have sex, I end up doing most of the work while he just lays there. I do enjoy being the dominant one during sex, and he takes more of a submissive role, but it's more laziness laziness than submission. Do you have any recommendations on ways to have sex while minimizing his back pain and neck discomfort? And what steps can we start taking to explore ways to get him turned on more and craving more sex and get him more comfortable with his own body? He wants to, but doesn't think it's possible and believes that's just how his body was made. I have seen him enjoy sex before, so I know he can. Please help. This uh, question is so perfect for this episode that's coming up. Um, because Nailed there's it. a lot of uh, wonderful information in here on uh, working with, with chronic pain. And when you actually broaden your horizon to check out all these things, because sexuality is so vast, there's so many things we can do and try. And it doesn't have to just be penetrative sex. I mean, for this person, if having penetrative sex with, is, is painful in most positions, maybe that's not the number one go-to. You know, maybe there's other things that you do and you focus on now, granted his partner is saying that they, they, want, they want more sex. But even within that, there's so many things that you can try that might work really well and they don't always have to involve movement, right? They can be about what, you know, the, the sexual part of the mind and how they connect and get aroused and turned on. Get really creative and, and see what works and you might find that you both end up feeling really fulfilled in that way. I think that is wonderful advice. I think when they're talking about minimizing back pain, his back pain and neck discomfort, of course, I'm sure laying on the back is probably the easiest thing. However, you, you won't know unless you try different positions. Also, one thing that stood out with this question is that she relates to being dominant and says she enjoys being dominant and says that he takes more of a submissive role, but 
she thinks it's more laziness than submission. So I don't know if there's a way that you can kind of open this conversation with him. There is a difference between being, you know, a submissive or a bottom and versus being, uh, what is it? The pillow princess slash um, Mm -hmm. the the dead fish kind of laying there having things being done to you that you're not really participating. And so maybe this is just a room for more conversation between them. One, have you talked to him about how frustrated you are about the fact that, that you totally understand why he might not crave a lot of sex? And this is what's, this is important to you to have a conversation about this. Have you told him that when you have sex, you're happy to be in the dominant role? And maybe you're wondering if he could be more an active, submissive person. Like maybe he could be more vocal or you can be a submissive person, still be very involved. And it doesn't necessarily need to involve a lot of movement. And then they're also talking about his sex drive isn't the highest. He's kind of just rubbing one out because he feels like he needs to because of hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it sounds like there's just a lot of room for conversation here. Ultimately, you can't make him get more comfortable with his body. You can't make him crave more sex. Um, but what you can do is share what's important to you, what your needs are, and open up the the floor for a conversation of how you two can meet each other and start exploring some things and see what works for both of you. And I think one thing to remember for this listener is that sex isn't linear. I know you mentioned at the end, like you've seen him enjoy sex before, so you know he can do it. And sex is just isn't a linear thing that you can count on. Of course, everyone hopefully at some point has the ability to enjoy sex and pleasure. And unfortunately, that isn't the case all the time, just because certain things affect our bodies and our minds in so many different ways. So you'll have to just adjust. It, it's going to be a process and it'll be learning and this episode, actually, this as Amy was saying, it's such a brilliant episode to have this question because Kat is going to talk about how she actually learned certain techniques and ways uh, to help with how her body operates and to become, you know, more embodied pleasure seeker when she was dealing with this chronic pain and this and this serious, you know, uh, physical, yeah. you know, stuff that was happening with her body. I think she said she had like 17 surgeries or something like that. It was Yeah, you're going to read the bio. It says it in the bio. Oh, there it is. I'll read the bio right now. How about that? Oh, oh, there you go. (laughs) Thank you, listener. Hopefully that's helpful. And there's a whole episode that will probably help to um, support you and answer your question. So a bio. Kat Nance is a trauma-informed somatic sex and relationship coach who believes you are your own greatest healer. And her job is to bring you home to the wisdom that lives in your body. After having 17 surgeries as a young child, spending years being led out of her body and being objectified in medical settings, she had a powerful realization that her greatest healing would occur when she landed in her body and listened. As a disabled mama, facilitator, and coach, Kat has a unique approach that empowers folks through building somatic embodied awareness and honoring the body's capacity to heal through pleasure and play. Bringing people home to pleasure and home to their core power is her life's purpose. To learn more, visit catnance.com. That's K-A-T-N-A-N-T-Z.com. And before we dive in, first, we would like to tell you about one of our beloved sponsors. We only have sponsors that we absolutely love because we are very particular. We are sex educators, as you know. Uh, We want to tell you about Dipsy. So Dipsy is an app. It is an app that you can get on your phone and you can play it and get turned on anywhere you want to, anytime you want to. It has all these erotic short stories. Some of them are kinky. Some of them are hot and spicy. Some of them may be a little more tame. Depends on what you're into. Um, I personally love it because we get a lot of sex questions and, and I also see clients who um, tapping in the desire is hard. Like I'm not in my body. I'm not turned on. How do I get turned on? 
Um, and this is a really great way. You can just listen to these stories. Bam, there you are. All of a sudden the juices are flowing. I love Dipsy because they have even a section for guide and how to's. So you can challenge yourself with a self, a self-touch glow up and they give you guided breathing techniques and self-touch when you can practice edging. They have so many different things and our shameless sex listeners get a 30 day free trial. When you go to dipsystories.com slash shameless, that's 30 days, totally free. When you go to D I P S C A stories.com slash shameless again, dipsystories.com slash shameless. Check it out y'all. And now to the interview. All right, everyone, episode time once again. We are here with Kat Nance, who I met at Sex Cake Summer Camp years ago. We were just talking about that um, in 2016, which is not happening this year in person because uh, you all know what's going on. I believe Reed's actually doing a virtual version of it as we speak. Um, so, but that was a fun experience. It literally is like camp where they, he wears like the tall socks with the short shorts and <laughs> people are all hanging out down by the Creek and doing more stew marshmallows. And, and then it's, you know, we're just sex nerds. So there's other fun things going on. And, um, but we're super excited to have you here, Kat. We're talking about healing through pleasure. And we always start with kind of the same question. Um, and yours is a, is a little different here, but so in terms of the question, because uh, it's specifically about how your medical trauma informed your journey. So if you could just start by telling us your story, how you got to be in this field of human sexuality, and how did your medical trauma inform your journey to becoming a somatic sex coach? Awesome. Thank you. Hello, and thank you for having me on. You're my Uber Lube. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You love Uber Lube. That's awesome. I, I do, yeah. Actually, they started carrying it in the sex shop in Guelph because of my clients were asking for it for so, so often. So that, that was awesome. Anyways. Okay. So what informed my uh, journey into this work? Yeah, that is a big story. So I am going to talk a bit about medical trauma. So I'm just going to say that and, um, you know, give people a minute to prepare for that for anybody that feels uncomfortable talking about that or hearing about it. Um, I think the biggest piece for me was, I mean, I mean, when I was four, I'll start with this. When I was four, I was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. Um, and when I was 10, I started having surgeries on my legs and my feet. And at that time, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know what was going on in my body. I didn't really have a lot of information, just that something was wrong with my body and I was, I was going to start having surgeries and, and I didn't really feel all that, that informed, which is you know true for a lot of things in the medical system. I went on to have 17 major surgeries on my uh, feet and my legs, which is a pretty big deal. So from when I was 10 until I was 16 and 16 was an important, um, age because I, I, at that point I was allowed to start making some decisions for myself. And I, I became more aware that I was actually allowed to say no to the things that were happening to my body. So a lot of the surgeries were actually quite experimental, like things would go wrong from the last surgery. And so then they were trying to fix something from the next surgery. And so it was a lot of like, maybe this will work, maybe this won't. And, um, I, I had had my surgeries in a, a hospital that was a school schooling hospital. So it was a lot of, of interns. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> every appointment there's like 10, 10, like, you know, very big people to me at the time walking in the room and listening and, you know, sort of what you would see on Grey's Anatomy where there's like six people in the room talking about what the, what's going on with the person. Anyway. So when I was 16, I had decided that I wasn't going to have any more surgeries and I just, I had decided for myself that, 
I would stop. And I did. And for me, that was, that was a big piece in the work that I do now, which is around like boundary work and um, also choosing to just, you know, pause and let my body have an opportunity to do some healing on its own. The next big piece for that, but for me was that there was, I was dealing with a lot of chronic pain. Um, I, it was quite debilitating at the time. And I was getting a lot of messaging from the doctors and from the folks in my life, the adults that I trusted that my future was not going to be all that great, you know, that I would, you know, I'd be spending the rest of my life just um, managing chronic pain, that I would be in a wheelchair, um, that things that were just going to progress and keep getting worse than what they already were. And I just had this moment where I decided that that wasn't true for me, that it's like, that can't be the truth (laughs) of my future. Like that is pretty grim. And so I, at the time, my family had moved from uh, one city to another and I couldn't join Uh, I couldn't go to high school because it was in the middle of the year. So it was actually a really great opportunity for me. I had a few months where I could just start doing some inner work. And I had made the decision at that time that, you know, what, I wonder what is on the other side of this pain, or I wonder what is possible in pleasure instead of just, you know, feel, well, feeling like if my body can experience this amount of pain, then, then there's a possibility for that amount of pleasure in my body. So I started doing yoga and meditating and, and just trying to like, you know, soften the way that I was with my body and and listen in and hear what it was saying. And I went from not being able to walk. And then within a few months, being able to go off of all the medication that I was taking and um, being able to walk again and, um, you know, feeling alive again. So for me, that was like, that was the sparking moment that I had no idea that I was going to do this work because I didn't know it existed. I didn't know (laughs) that anybody did this kind of work. So but that's definitely the defining experience in my life that, that let me know that pleasure is also a place that we can heal and that, that there's a lot of possibility in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you, thank you for sharing that journey. It's, I don't know, it's so powerful. And the whole, like, I don't know if you've coined this healing through pleasure as almost like a trademark. I love, I love the way that sounds. And it is, it's, it's so beautiful to, know that we can share with people that have any, um, obviously, and, and I don't ever want to call anything a disability, right? Because I feel like, um, it's an inability, maybe it can hinder folks, but it just, I think that injects a lot of hope for people out there that perhaps did have a lot of surgeries or spent years in, in hospitals. And, uh, I think it's amazing that you've, realized this. I don't know uh, what changed or shifted, but it's incredible. And um, I'm so happy to have you here. So uh, the healing through pleasure part. So what is that, I guess, what does that look like? Or can you kind of dive a little deeper into that for our listeners? Well, I think that the first thing that I, I, that I want to say about healing through pleasure is that we have to be willing to meet parts of ourselves that are really scary. And I think for a lot of us, well, for most of us, we have spent our life being pulled out of our body and we've spent our life being told feeling the big things is unsafe. It's not okay. Um, Especially when I, in the work around like somatic healing, a lot of it is, is learning to re-experience the fullest expressions of, of something in your body where, you know, if I'm going out and I'm in public and I'm feeling really anxious, like what is anxiety in my body? What is my, what energy is my body trying to mobilize with that? And if I honor what my body needs to do in that moment, um, then I'm not, you know, the sensation doesn't have me. I have the sensation. Now I have control in my body instead of feeling like it's happening to me. 
And so like, for me, one of the biggest parts was getting that the story and the things that I was hearing about myself were tell it, were informing how my body felt that so much of the pain that I was experiencing was actually not really my pain that it, it was, it was influenced by what people were telling me about me. I believed that to be the truth about me. I'm, I'm disabled. I'm, I'm always going to be in chronic pain. This pain is so terrible. It's, you know, and I just like, I sunk deeper and deeper and deeper into that story and it just had me. And so when I started to unravel that and unraveling that meant being really critical of the things that I believed about myself and, and started asking some really hard questions. Like what if like, I'm, you know, what if this isn't what my life is actually supposed to look like? Or, or what if like a genetic disease doesn't mean that I actually have to always have that. So that's like, that one's one that, you know, I still struggle with a lot because there's so much story and identity attached with, with my disability story. It's such a huge part of my identity, especially as I started being like the strong one who overcame so much. And, you know, I'm, just like this identity of, of strong, like I'm really strong and I can do anything that anybody else can do. I can be rock climbing. I can hike down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I can, you know, walk just as far as my friends do just as much as any of my friends can do. So I always was pushing myself and that was a big part of my identity. So starting to question, you know, these beliefs that I had about myself meant redefining who I actually am in the world and deciding for myself, who I get to be like, is this, you know, I, I think for a lot of us, we sort of form these identities, these strong identities, and, and they're such a core part of who we are. So when we start questioning that, that's really destabilizing for us, right? So it's sort of like shaking this whole world around us of who we thought we were. Um, so for me, it's been a lot of deciding who I actually am in this world and deciding for myself and, and a reclamation of language and using the language that I want to use for myself um, cause I can hear my mom's voice in my head, you know, she's brilliant. And I was so lucky to have such a, like a powerhouse as a mom going through that. And she's so attached to that story of like me being disabled, her being disabled, and this being like something that our family's just always going to have. And the struggle is so, it's so part of the identity for her. And I actually have to like pause her and say, I don't actually agree with that. I don't feel like that's the truth about me. So like, please don't say that to me because that's not true for me. Did she consider herself to be more of like a victim of this thing and kind of tried to like have you in that or was it something else or it was just an identity like she identified with it I think the strong theme is this is happening to us and we are strong because of it and we have to be strong and people don't get us people don't know what we're going through we're, we're on our own on this like I would remember her you know I remember my brother um because the disease that I have is genetic so you have a 50 50 percent chance of inheriting it so my older brother doesn't have it and myself and my twin brother do. And so my older brother, he, he'd always had really good health. And I remember he got sick. He ended up getting an abscess. And then my mom's, one of my mom's responses to that was, yeah, now can you imagine what Katie went through her whole life? Like, can you imagine how terrible that must've been for her? And now you have some like perspective. And I was like, Oh no, no, no. I would never say that to somebody. <laughs> that's, that's not what I would say. Like, that's like, absolutely not. Like nobody's, you don't compare anybody's suffering to somebody else's suffering. And, and that's so huge for him because he's not experienced what I've had. And part of reclaiming my, my own experience of it and deciding how I get to identify with it. I don't, I don't look back and feel like, Oh my gosh, this, what a terrible thing that happened to me. What an awful thing that happened. And I mean, I had my moments like anybody where it's like, Ooh, that's like pretty heavy. 
and I actually just feel, I feel like I'm really grateful. I have a really beautiful life and it's so full of love and so full of intention. And I, I, there is no feeling sorry for myself. It's just pain is something at the time in my life, like as a young kid going through that pain felt like just consuming, like it was everything. It just felt like everything. And then when I started doing that work, it started to shift. Now it's something in the background. It's like white noise. Like I, you know, I can hear the traffic in the background or, you know, you can hear like the background fuzz in this and all of us have background noise in our head. So, you know, just like not allowing it to take up so much space and realizing that there's, there's like, you know, this, this is really hard for a lot of people to feel into and to believe, but there is such a gift in pain. Pain is always an invitation to like move further into ourselves and, and have this deeper understanding of who we are and who we get to be in this world if we're willing to answer that. And for most of us, it's like, here's the pain and here's us moving away from it. And then that just makes it louder. It's so much louder. And so when I started like meeting it and, and getting like curious, like a discompassionate curiosity, no feelings attached to it, no story, just what, what's here? What is this? What's the story the body wants to tell? If I can like put this on pause, like put my brain on pause for a moment, what's the story that the body wants to tell? That for me is like, it's such a huge freedom that I, you know, what if I just pause the story? I mean, it comes in anyway at some point as it does. But yeah, I think your original question was, what's my mom's attachment to, to it? And um, I guess something I'll say to that is that her, her father also had muscular dystrophy and he had, had had polio. So he had his leg amputated. So she, when he was young, Um, and so she always grew up with a father who was disabled and he was always on crutches. And so that was her experience. Like she'd already like come into motherhood with that experience. And then my twin brother had three open heart surgeries by the time he was like four. And then, and then they started noticing something was wrong. Something was wrong with me at four. I don't think something was wrong, but that's, you know, started to go to the doctor's appointments where the medical system really objectifies. I don't know how much experience you both have. I mean, you're women, so probably enough experiences of being objectified in in, uh, the medical system. But at four, going to doctor's appointments and having my mom and doctors be like, okay, now walk. And then they're watching me walk. And I'm like, what's happening here? And just like having like my body, like I'm not a person, you know, like not checking in with me and like, how do you feel in your body? What do you notice in your body? What's happening for you? And checking in. So at that age, even I have the ability to communicate that way, but never, nobody was ever, ever. I don't have one experience when I was a kid of people checking in with my body. Like what's happening for you? What do you, how do you want to see all of this, this look? That's, that's so huge. That's so huge for me for to have like such a huge chunk of my life. feel like my body's not mine. And I, as I think of, of this with, with sex too and sexuality, you know, a lot of the advice that we're giving people and a lot of what, um, you know, the platform of our podcast becomes is, is to empower people to ask those questions for themselves as opposed to living by someone else's rules or stories of who they should be as sexual beings. And part of it is those questions. You know, what, what am I truly feeling in this moment and then the next moment as it changes? And what do I really want and need and desire? And where are my yeses and my nos? And um, a lot of folks are just so used to uh, just kind of going in autopilot mode from what they've been taught or currently being told as opposed to knowing how to ask those questions. And I would imagine this is where, you know, maybe the healing through pleasure comes 
in, um, and maybe you can elaborate more on that if there's like a specific process also about like how you guide your clients because you do this work with people. You know, what does this look like? Is it is it about teaching people to listen to their bodies, to feel what their bodies are truly wanting, desiring, and feeling? What does that look like in terms of the healing through pleasure process? I think such a huge piece that's lacking in, in our education around sexuality is slowing down process. And, and that's what I didn't have as a kid. And that's what I didn't have in most of my sexual experiences was just this like pause. Just this like moment where we can check in, where I can actually notice what's happening in my body and where we can ask curious questions because the way we have it, what sex looks like, what the, what we're taught about sex is that it's not, it's not a place where curiosity shows up. It's like, here's what sex looks like. Here's how we have sex. And for a lot of people just having like the sex that they don't really want to be having because it's scary to have those conversations because we're not, we're not taught that it's okay to have those conversations. But what if like sex was a place where we got really curious, where we went in and we asked all the questions, like, what does this feel like? What if we explored it this way? What if we tried this? So I think healing through pleasure is, I think often when I think about that, I I think about BDSM a lot. Uh, BDSM was actually one of the hugest places that I had no, I had no idea that I would go into the BDSM community. And that is where a lot of my trauma would get sorted out. Like that was like, I would not have known that. And I would not have believed it had somebody told me, but for me going in to the King community being able to design these scenes and heavily communicate and say, here's exactly what my body wants. Here's exactly what I'm a no to. And then to have somebody honor that and then check in and have a, have a way out. Like if I say, stop, I say red, I say my word, then, then the scene stops. So to feel intense things or intense, painful things happen to my body and have complete control over it. That's, that's allowing my body to complete the stress cycle. It's allowing it to finish the story the way that it originally wanted to finish the story. So now my body gets to complete something. And I I would have had no idea that I could have connected those together. But that's a huge thing in somatic healing is, is your body is compelled to complete its, its original wounding. And so we are always putting ourselves in situations, in relationships where these opportunities arise. It's why we say, I'm always attracted to the same people and I always end up in the same relationships. And why does this same thing keep happening? Yeah, that's great. That's our really, really like brilliant bodies putting us in relationship with people who are going to have us confront those things. And if we're aware of that and we're more integrated in our body and there's a collaboration between, between our brain and our body, then now we get all of these juicy really amazing opportunities to actually heal some really big things. If we have partnerships and relationships with people and ourselves that allow for that, for that slowing and and noticing, oh, this is my body wanting to complete that. I keep bumping up against this boundary rupture with this person because because my body is remembering this original wounding. So what would it look like for us to slow down and complete that here? Okay, time for a quick break. This podcast is made possible by OMGS.com. OMGS is a research-based online program that teaches you all about how to pleasure the pussy. OMGS studied thousands of vulva owners to find out how they orgasm and then made tasteful and inspiring short videos to show you techniques on how to pleasure yourself or another vulva. I've been recommending OMGS to my clients for years and has changed their lives. 
So for all you vulva owners or vulva lovers out there who may already be having good orgasms and you want to take it to the next level, or perhaps you want to explore more variety in your playtime, OMGS will have something just for you. With two seasons, one all about internal and the other all about external techniques, it's better than any book or DVD money can buy. To learn more, visit omgs.com backslash shameless. Our listeners get $5 off. Check it out. This podcast was also made possible by Uber Lube. It's a luxurious silicone lubricant great for all kinds of sex. It's less likely to throw off the pH than most other lubes. And there are hundreds of doctors who recommend Uber Lube to their patients, whether they want to make their hot sex even hotter or for folks who are experiencing dryness. You never knew lube could be this good. So whether you're an avid lube lover or you've never used lube before, Uber Lube is right for you. It has no flavor, no scent, and feels absolutely amazing on the body. Uber Lube has endless uses. I use it to tame my hair fizzies, to prevent chafing, and I even put some in my mouth right before an oral sex session, and it totally ups my blowjob game. Oh, and the bottle, it's gorgeous. It's totally discreet and looks more like a beautiful cosmetic product, so you can even leave it on your nightstand shamelessly. To learn why we think it's the best lube on the planet, check out uberlube.com. Use code SHAMELESSSEX and you get 10% off and free shipping. That's uberlube.com. Go check it out. And now back to the show. I think I think exposure is huge. Honestly, I think we've been exposed to very limited experiences of what, what sex actually looks like. So I think the exposure aspect is actually really huge. So for me going into the community and that's not accessible to everybody, depending where you live, depending on, you know, you may have social anxiety or just not interested in meeting people yet or not, not there. But for me, it was going into the community and seeing this is what people are getting up to. Like people, people are like just playing out whatever thing that they can make up in their brain and somebody else wants to do it. So I think a lot, a lot of things that are tied into our sexuality, we feel so much shame around. Like I'm the only one who thinks this is so weird that I fantasize about this or that I have a desire for this. I must be the only one or else I'm just a weirdo like the other weirdos. And yes, you are a weirdo in a great way. (laughs) But when you go into a space and you see people very, very unapologetically, just like claiming exactly what they want, then it feels like you're, you're a kid in a candy store, right? You get to just start being like, oh, I would love some of that. And I'd like to try some of that. And so, you know, for me, it was going into a community where I got to go to play parties and play parties for those who don't know are are places where you you get to go and, and have like BDSM scenes and lots of different people are playing, um, are playing out their fantasies in different ways and you get to see it or, or not see it if they're in a private space. But, um, for people who aren't interested in that, I, I think, you know, researching different things and, watching different types of pornography if they're comfortable with that or getting into different communities and asking people like, what are you, what, what are you into? What desires do you follow? And just getting like a, a bigger, more holistic picture of what sexuality actually looks like because it's a playground, right? It's like there, that is where we get to go be somebody else or we get to fully meet ourselves. So for me, BDSM was like where I got to meet myself, like, Oh, here I am. Mm-hmm. And like push those edges and so that's part of the, p- the pain for me too, is like playing, playing in my own body and, and seeing what, what edge can I push and not push through, not force myself, not endure, but where is my actual, like, p- like, in like 
edge where I can like push my amount of pleasure or pain. So for me, like pain is, can also be very pleasurable. So what is the edge for me? And then in choosing to meet myself there and see what my body's capable and, and see what I'm capable of. Mm -hmm. Um, so in terms of working with clients, it's often, it's a, it's a big slowing down. So we're pausing and we're trying to build, um, one build like emotional and, uh, and body intelligence, like what do you already notice in your body? Because a lot of people who come to me, pleasure doesn't actually feel accessible. They've experienced some sort of trauma, whether that's sexual or otherwise, that pleasure feels a bit inaccessible. And for a lot of them, they're in relationships often with people who love them a lot and, and are wonderful people, but they're often experiencing boundary ruptures with them because we don't think about this, right? We have a partner who's coming in hot with a lot of energy. So the person who has more spontaneous arousal and then somebody who's like a bit cooler and needs a lot more heat externally to feel that arousal and which is responsive and that's an often a place where boundaries are, are pushed in a way that is really like really harmful to the relationship and and to trust in the relationship and and often a place where we think like nobody's doing anything wrong like that that's totally okay because a high sex drive is really great like if you're the person who wants more sex that's better and the other person should come meet you where you're at and so if you're for any reason in your life experiencing less arousal or that's just your normal state now all of a sudden there's shame so now I should put my body in in positions that it doesn't want to be in I should have sex because my partner wants to have sex I should just do that and every time we endure like that that's a betrayal in our in our own body not something we're choosing to do, not like you're bad because you betrayed yourself, but those are moments where our body's asking us to listen, to honor the boundaries and, and we don't. And so with a partner who's coming in really hot and us not feeling that all of a sudden, like we're, we're retreating more and more and more. And so our body experiences that as a rupture in, in the boundary. And so that's something that, that gets played out so often that I see as soon as clients come in, they start talking and I'm like, yeah, this thing is like one of the most common things that I talk about with my clients. Mm -hmm. And that's really interesting to me because I'm, I also am hearing a lot in the background with that around what people are taught about sex. Like we don't, we don't have conversations with the body. We have conversations, you know, up here in our head. So if something's not working, we keep having the same conversation on loop. Do you know those ones? Mm -hmm. Like with your partners, it's like, yeah. we have this <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. same fight on repeat. And so a big, a big thing that I do in the slowing down is like, let's pause and let's see what conversation is happening in the body. What was already said, what conversation happened in your bodies within seconds when they met before you even started putting a story to that. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, the big sensation in our body happens, our body recognizes, you know, say if my, my fight with my partner is, I mean, our, my most, most common dynamic, my partner, that's like you know, the thing that we always come back to is around non-monogamy. And for me, it took years to realize what my original wounding was, which was my mom choosing to, to leave our fat, like leave our, her partner and move into a different, uh, different city and, and told us, you know, my job is done. And if you want to come, you can come, um, or don't, but I'm going anyway. And so it took me years to realize that it was linked to that, that wounding. I just kept, but the fight always looked the same. It was you know, if you just changed a bit, like that's me saying to my partner, if you just made it so that I could trust you more, then, then we could do it. Or if you just did this, if you changed your behavior, if you became perfect, then all of a sudden non-monogamy would be possible. 
But really it was like, how brilliant that my body would want to be with somebody who would confront this wounding to give me the opportunity to heal that and restore some wholeness. And so a big part of my job is exploring how do we restore wholeness? What is the wounding that brought you two together? What's the possibility for healing? And how can we show up in love with that? Like, instead of seeing here is a place where we just don't meet each other, seeing here's where our bodies really actually want to meet. This is where we actually really want to do some work. Like, what if we started to slow down that conversation and started noticing, wow, my body's like really tense in my chest every time you you come towards me that way, or every time you say this certain thing, or every time you're just, you gesture this way. And then let's start exploring that with a sense of curiosity instead of them versus me. So on so much of it reminds me of just like, you know, meditation and having that internal awareness of like looking at yourself as opposed to just being the process or like what you were talking about in the beginning is, you know, being your story as opposed to getting really curious about what's really going on for you instead of like becoming this thing. And so I really, anytime I hear someone that's working with people in a really embodied way, that's helping them to um, get really clear on who they really are or want to be. I really um, value that. And I value embodied work. Um, April and I both identify as very heady people. And so our greatest work for ourselves is is more embodied practices. I really love what you're doing. Um, Are you, now we're in some weird times, but a lot of your work was probably retreats in person and in-person one-on-one sessions, but what are you, how, how can people work with you? Are you working with people online? What do you have coming up? How can they learn more? Yeah. Um, Yes. So very, very weird times. I did have a retreat coming up. That's now not happening. So um, just have to like trust that some magic will, will happen there. But what I'm doing right now is I'm still doing one-on-one sessions and couple sessions um, just through zoom. So anything online, so any virtual coaching and um, what I have coming up is I'm going to be creating a membership program It'll be six months long and it'll be an opportunity to work with myself and in community with um, some other women. So it'll be like roughly like 12 women. So that's what I have coming up. I'm going to be launching that soon. So that'll be doing a lot of somatic practices and, and, and giving us an opportunity to really meet our body. And um, it will incorporate a lot of movement and play. So I do a lot of, a lot of play is incorporated in my work. Um, because that's such an important piece in somatic healing is restoring that sense of play and movement in our body and as somebody who has a toddler I mean I feel like she is my most brilliant teacher at this time around how to fully express like a sensation in my body like that's occurring so if my nervous system is overwhelmed like she's such a great example of what it looks like to totally follow an experience through and then let it leave the body um, so that program will incorporate a lot of different types of play and pleasure exploration and um slowing down in our in our like pleasure practice with ourselves and if they want to know where to if they want to know more about that they can just send me a message through my website which is just catnance.com or on any platform that i'm on facebook or instagram you can just say i want to know more and um and i'll put you on the list wow cat you are just a badass human and i'm so thankful that i was able to spend some time with you and learn more about the work that you're doing. It's incredible. And thank you for all of it, for your, for, for staying here with us and, and sharing uh, a lot of your experiences with our listeners and with, with me and Amy or Amy and I, uh, <laughs> because it is invaluable. It's really amazing. And it just is incredible. So thank you 
And hopefully our listeners out there uh, will check out catnance.com. Go to K-A-T-N-A-N-T-Z to find out more about Cat's Work and the new program that's launching. And now is your time, y'all. You have hopefully endless hours with your computer that you can explore more and get in touch with your pleasure and healing through pleasure. So thank you, Kat. And thanks to your your little mini human who is your little teacher too. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really grateful. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And to all of our listeners out there, you shameless sex revolutionary. If you like wine as much as Amy and I do, which obviously now is a time where I'm probably consuming more than I should, but you know what? We don't should. So check out marginswine.com and you're going to be supporting not only an amazing winemaker but fabulous wine it is unbelievable small batched insane wine from santa cruz area and amy and i are huge fans we have discount codes available on our website and check it out and you know cheers to you for now and also cheers for being part of the shameless sex revolution we'll see you next tuesday and next friday y'all it's quarantine Ciao for now. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com.